Hi there, welcome to Series 2 of the Release the Sound podcast where we talk all things prophetic worship. I'm Raymond Waterman and it is my passion to empower, to educate, encourage and equip you to release a sound of heaven that transforms the communities that you are a part of. So stay tuned, listen to some amazing guests and be blessed. Thanks for joining me. Hey everybody, welcome to the Release the Sound Prophetic Worship Podcast. I'm very excited about today. I think I start every episode saying that because I get to interview some amazing heroes in worship. And today, that is exactly what we're doing. Made a new friend. Her name is Kalani Webb. She's the Worship Director of Morningstar Ministries and the Director of MSU School of Worship. And uh, for more than 25 years, Kalani's been ministering as a prophetic worship leader, a songwriter, recording artist, and teacher. She's passionate about equipping and releasing musicians and singers in prophetic worship and creative songwriting. And she flows in the prophetic, flows in spontaneous worship, ministers in churches and worship schools, conferences in the US, but also around the world. And she's married to her husband, Gary. And uh, Kalani, it's such an honor to have you. Thank you for saying yes and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to this time. It's going to be great. Uh, it's so great. I, I actually, um, I actually came across you because I, I've been very impacted by Rick Joyner's ministry over the years, and I follow him on Facebook. And you came up leading worship for a session that he was teaching at, and I was like, "Who is this person? This song is unbelievable!" And it was that song, "Praise Is the Breakthrough." Now I don't know if that's a new song mm-hmm. or an old song, but I must have. This is what I did, Kalani. I was like, I turned into a freak. I played that <laughs> song back about five times. I was typing up the lyrics because I just loved the words so much. And it really impacted me. And I sang that song for a couple of weeks in my car on the way to the school wow. and all that stuff. So firstly, for writing that song, an amazing song. And I'd love to hear a bit about it. That's that's just a personal question, but can you tell us a little bit more about the story behind that song? Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, I wrote that song, it, I think 2016, around that time. So it's it's been around for a few years. As a worship leader, I really love praise. I really love high praise. I really love the kind of songs that we sing together that break us through into the throne room and into that place of victory and so I was really like, I'm the kind of songwriter that a lot of times I'll get like, I'll get a, um, I call it a working title. Like I'll get a phrase in my spirit that just kind of is rumbling around in there and I'll meditate on it. And so the phrase that I had was praise is the breakthrough. And I was like, I really want to write a song about that. And so I started kind of, yeah, just digging in scripture and just talking to the Lord about it. At the time I was doing a lot of of driving, a lot of travel between uh, Jacksonville, Florida, where I lived at the time, and Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live now. (laughs) And um, it's funny because that I called it my, it was like a corridor. It was like this special little, it was a special place where I would get with the Lord in my car and just kind of get in the zone and write and pray. And I would use my, you know, my phone, the voice memo on my phone to record ideas. And I would just I'm just driving in a straight line and I'm singing and I'm working on a song. And so that's kind of where it was written. Mostly was in my car. There were certain uh, melodic ideas that were birthed in my time in the prayer room. I was very, very active in my city's house of prayer for many years. And I would say that quite a lot of the songs that, that I wrote in those years had their origination, had their birthing point in that house of prayer, um, which is a very special season, you know, to me. And so, so that's really how it originated, honestly. And I was so excited when, when it was complete, I was so excited to sing it. And it's been, I, I do feel like it, it fits a, it fits a spot as far as like, I'm, I'm the kind of, I'm always looking for songs like, to lead, to teach my congregation, to teach people that um, has a beat to it that we can dance to, you know, something that's not just all the slow stuff. And so it was one of those songs I think that has been helpful to people, to churches. So 
Yeah, I think that's pretty much the story of how that one was born. And certainly it connects to uh, um, the story in Second Chronicles regarding King Jehoshaphat and the, and the people of Judah. The story of that battle that they faced where, where the Lord spoke prophetically through a trained singer, basically, that, um, that they, were not, they would not need to fight the battle just to, to go out and stand and see what God would do on their behalf. And we know that they put the praisers, they put the Levites on the front line. So praise, the praise went before them into that encounter with their enemy. And as they sang and declared, you know, praise the Lord, his, his uh, love endures forever. They put that sound into the atmosphere. It routed the enemy. It caused confusion so that the, the various uh, armies start to fight each other yeah. and wipe each other out, which is pretty amazing. And so, yeah, that, that whole picture was in my mind when, uh, when I wrote the words, that song. I think my favorite line in that, in that song is, it's a random one, but all of my days I want to be a Levite. Yeah. That just got me, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually my heart is to have that priestly anointing to lead yes. with. So, yeah, really powerful, really powerful. I loved hearing that. And um, I, I also love that. I mean, I'm hearing it for the first time in 2022 when we're recording this, but you wrote it in 2016. And I hear a lot of songwriters when they they write songs that don't happen in the season, they don't really work in the season, they'll often dismiss those songs thinking that they didn't work. And I love that, you know, what, five years on or whatever, this is a song that is that still has life. And I wonder if you have other songs like that where you've just gone, oh, I don't know, it didn't really work when I wrote it. And now you re, you like you sort of reintroduce a song because I think that's important for people to know that you don't dismiss yeah. that. You know, have you ever had that experience? Yeah, I think I've had that experience a few times. I know for me personally, and I think a lot of songwriters can be this way, where we get tired of our own songs and we stop singing them because like ah that that one's old, you yeah. know, or whatever, and we move on because we wanted to sing the new ones that we've written. And sometimes the Lord has kind of rebuked me a little bit about that. He's like, I give you these songs. Are you going to sing them or not? You know, kind of deal. But and even songs that I've written are almost completed and something was not quite finished. Or I could tell like the song is done, but it's not done. And I would put it on the shelf or kind of put it on the back burner. Like, all right, I'll just wait until the timing is right. Yeah. I have a song that I wrote called Catch the Song. And I finished it, or at least I thought I had finished it, but I, there was something in me that was like, this isn't quite right. It's not quite finished. And so I waited for a couple of years before I pulled it back out. And when I did, it was like the Lord brought a download and the, I finished the song, really finished it. And I'm so glad I waited, you know, so glad I waited on, on the timing of the Lord. I have another song called Nothing Can Separate Me. I probably wrote three or four different uh, bridge sections to the song and nothing would stick. Nothing felt complete, you know? So that was another song I had to wait until the season was right. And really for me, it was about the journey of my life. And like, there's some things I needed to walk through with the Lord for something to be deposited in my own heart yes. that I could then write and put in the song, you know? So yeah. I think from that from that perspective, I could certainly say, Sometimes songs aren't ready or I might start writing a song maybe ahead of the season that needs to be released. That's great. And there's some songs, some of my older songs that I wrote years ago, I'm suddenly drawn to again. And the Lord's like, start singing that one again. And it feels new again. So that you feel a fresh breath of the spirit on it or that it feels potent, you know, for the yeah. moment. I wrote a song in 2016 uh, called Keep Your Eyes on the Lion. And it's kind of, it's very uh, aggressive. It's pretty intense. It's got a part that says, when everything around you is shaking, keep your eyes on the lion. Um, it says, uh, there's a rumble all around us. Keep your, keep your courage, keep your focus, keep it steady on the lion. And, and at the time I was like, yeah, this song, this is just so right for right now. And I never recorded it or anything. It just kind of sat onto the side. And now it feels, I was like, well, now it feels even more relevant for the time that we're in, it feels like a right now song that we should be declaring corporately. Worship leaders, worship songwriters are more prophetic than they think. They're writing songs before they're probably needed a lot of the times. And we don't even recognize it. Like you only have to look at the CCLI list, 
you know, of the top 10 songs, if you look at when they're written, some of them are like 10 years old. Yeah. And so I think that's awesome what you're saying that I hope that's an encouragement to people listening that don't dismiss that song that really, you know, when you wrote it, there was something about it. It might just be for a different season and the journey too, you know, we're going through our own story as we're writing the story. I think that's really powerful. And it's beautiful too, because it's like God's working in us. He's using our songs to work in us. Oh, absolutely. I can look back at every song and like every album that I've ever recorded. And it's like the chronicles of my life with the Lord, my life in God. And it's always encouraging when songs touch other people in a profound way that, yeah, it's really encouraging because obviously writing songs, no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're writing songs for the church to sing or not, it's still a vulnerable process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you do much co-writing? Um, to be honest, no, I don't do a lot of co-writing, but I, I have co-written, um, my friend Susie Urai, uh, she and I have done some co-writing together. We, we make a great team. I really enjoy writing with her and I've done a little bit of co-writing with a few other people, but mainly I think because my background is in, um, music composition. So I went to college and got, a a bachelor of music degree in music composition and my where I studied was classically based. So I was thrown into the deep end of everything, you know, regarding orchestrating and arranging and composing music in classical genres. Yep. And so I'm thankful for that. Although at the time I was like, what on earth am I doing here? Because I knew, you know, I knew in my heart, like, what I was called to was related to, you know, worship and the church and all this. And I'm like, why am I at this school studying opera? And like, what is going on? But I have discovered that it was uh, like the Lord uniquely um, tooled me or outfitted me with some tools that have been very helpful. Yes. So I, I, I enjoy that. I, I yeah. grew up classically trained singing opera and classical piano the same oh really yeah and I um I actually almost so I got to about 28 and I did they call it in Australia the AMSA which is the top classical singing that's like basically that's the last thing you do and I mean I was studying four or five hours a day I was practicing to do the exams but then church yeah. in the way and I was just like I can't do anymore <laughs> but I remember at the time just going why am I learning this I'm so thankful for it because it was so hard and like, you know, to do classical singing, you had to do musicianship theory exams as well, which I hated, but Mm -hmm. I loved studying some of the great classical composers. So I'm actually still at uni right now. I'm doing a a master's of spirituality and I just finished an essay on the theology of Handel's Messiah. And Oh, wow. It was just I'm just loving it. I love learning things outside of my sphere. I feel like it mm-hmm. helps you with the sphere that you're in. So I get where I get where you're coming from and I get what you're saying. It's sometimes when you've had that experience and that knowledge, finding other people that can kind of be at that. It's not like it's a levels thing, but just has a similar processing. You learn a different way of processing writing and music, don't sure. you? Like when I when I write, I do often hear the the bass lines I hear um, parts I hear or- orchestral things and so I have I'm thankful that I can hear that and I have some ability to capture those things by making a demo of the song or something like that but then on the other hand I really enjoy workshopping songs with like my band you know yeah. and and getting their ideas or their thoughts on the arranging process but just the actual bare bones of writing the songs most of the time I will write alone uh, most of the time I do get when I get ideas, my lyrics are usually attached to melodies. So it's not like I write all the lyrics and then I need to write the music or vice versa. They kind of come together for me. So I do enjoy working with people who need who need coaching or need some help. I don't necessarily consider that a co-write, but like when I'm working with students or folks who are new with songwriting, uh, that's really fun to like help them with that. It's a rare mix actually that I find that there's people who are gifted like that, but then they love to train. There's not a lot of people that can do that. And I just think that that's, that's why I was really interested to speak with you because that's passion. Sure. 
fine as well. Yeah. As also being a woman, I haven't got many, there's not many people in this space. Actually, maybe we should talk about that. Is that like a touchy mm. subject? I'd love to talk to you about being a woman in ministry, in worship. Yeah. What are some of the dynamics around that? Yeah, you know, I try not to focus too much on that and get weird about it. But I have found, for one thing, the fact that I am a strong musician helps when I'm in the context of like a male-dominated field. I used to get so irritated. <laughs> I can remember like um, our local music store. We have a, a a store here called Guitar Center. It's like a chain. When I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, I hated going to that store because I always felt like I was um, kind of overlooked or ignored because they didn't take me seriously. Because, <laughs> you know, and I assumed that, oh, it's because I'm a woman, you know, whatever. Like I had to go in there and prove something to somebody or like pick up a guitar and play some kind of cool riff or <laughs> make a bunch of noise. I'm like, it really irritated me. But, you know, I, I found that for the most part, I feel like um, the folks around me, whether they're men or women, have, they, res they respect me if I, if they feel like they can trust me as a leader and they know who I am in the spirit. So it's been, I I've learned it's mostly about like, especially being, so what I do now, it has different components to it, including a pastoral one. And so being, um, I try to focus on building community, building relationship and showing, um, interest and, and honor and encouragement towards everyone, wherever they are musically, pulling out the golden people and doing anything that I can do to squelch any form of competition or territorial stuff or comparison. That Those things are killers of the creative and, and um, of community. So I grew up in ministry. I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. I never considered that I couldn't be, you know, be a worship pastor, be a pa whatever, because I was a woman. Yes. Maybe I had good role models or something. I learned to be confident. And just as long as I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm properly aligned to the people that who are over me in authority, then that empowers me to to move with authority and and empower the people around me. And so at this point in my life, I'm in my mid 40s now, and I'm kind of I've kind of moved into this like worship mama category. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> and I'm enjoying that space of being a spiritual mother to the 20 somethings and the teenagers that are around me. And so I kind of, that's just kind of how I see my role at this point. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there've been, there were bumpy points along the way and some things I had to learn. And um, I don't know, the Lord, I, it's all the things that God does to help work on our character, you know, for that integrity and humility and all those fun things. <laughs> yeah. Great answer. Great answer. I I was having a little flashback to my 20s when someone said to me in church, wow, you're pretty good for a girl. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, up until that point, I'd never even thought about it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because my, my mom plays piano yeah. and always played piano in church. And there was a certain amount of pressure that I felt from an early age, like, well, don't you want to be like your mom and play the piano? And and I tried that route when I was young. We we tried that. My mom tried to teach me and it was just a total disaster. Yeah. You know, I was I probably wasn't quite ready for it anyway, but I was always drawn to the guitar. Wow. Um, both my granddads, my, my grandfathers both played. And so, you know, I was around the instrument and one of my grandfathers had an old guitar down in the basement of their house. And I would you know, every time I was there, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go and get that guitar out and hold it. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I, that was the instrument that I just was really naturally drawn to. The piano came later, you know, when I was ready. But, but yeah, sometimes you have those categories of like, uh, you know, the instruments that the women can play, you know, yes. versus what the men play. <laughs> I like hearing you talk about being a mama now, like you've transitioned to that. And, um, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I struggled at the beginning when people, like people would call me Mama Roma mm -hmm. and I'd be like, I, I don't know what I think about that. Now I love it, right? I absolutely yeah. privilege. But I wondered, 
what was that transition like for you? Because you have ideas when you're in your 20s and when you're a mm-hmm. teenager, you have these ideas of what ministry is going to look like. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, I guess it was sort of a gradual shift that began to happen. I remember when I was younger, there were good things and bad things that I noticed. It was like trying to make some mental notes to myself. Like when I reach this age, I want to make sure dot, 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 dot. Because I saw um, on the negative side, I saw this tension around me with some of the older musicians who their identity was so wrapped around their position in the band or what have you that they had a very difficult time making space for the next generation and being a voice of encouragement, you know, like stepping aside enough to give room and to give uh, opportunity to make mistakes and to grow and to be a spiritual father or mother to the next generation. And that bothered me. But at the same time, I was like, I wonder what it'll be like for me. Would I struggle in the same way? Because I didn't, (laughs) you know, I didn't want to be all judgy. And then, you know, then when it's my turn, like completely fail in the same way. Um, And then on the other side of the coin, I watched the best example I can give is my friend Susie Urai, who I mentioned earlier. I guess she was over the worship aspect of the school here at Morningstar when I was a student, which was like 20 years ago. And so she was around my age then when I came in as a student. And I was amazed because while she was still like she was still pumping out all kinds of songs she was writing, she was an amazing worship leader, amazing singer. And I'm sure she had some level of ambition and desire what she would like to do and accomplish. But at the same time, here we are coming in these students writing songs and and she just made so much room for us and championed every single one of us and encouraged us and stepped aside. And she modeled something that I so appreciated. And um, so it was for me, it, it showed me a picture that I still, it's a reference point even for me now. So really, I think a few years ago is when I really started to feel that mama thing on me. And I realized there was a whole bunch of young people and that's how they looked at me. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I'm the same age that Susie was and they're the same age that I was. And suddenly it was like, holy cow. <laughs> wow, this is this just happened. And but it, exci- it, it excited me in a lot of ways because I realized the potential and, yes. and the role that I get, you know, that I had the opportunity to play yes. in, uh, in other lives. I think people don't realize, I mean, I didn't realize it till I got to this point that it's not a stepping down or a demotion. It's a repositioning. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. Like, I have to be honest, I think I love the season I'm in now more than I ever did when I was touring and recording albums and just doing my own thing, like raising up other people. I still write my songs. I still create. Yeah. I still lead worship. It's a different place. But I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing out or have been demoted in any way. It's very rich. And I wonder if you feel the same. I'm sure you do. But I but. do. I do. I feel a strong sense of purpose yes. in it and, and excitement. And at the same time, it's like when I'm teaching or whatever you want to call it, pouring into yeah. the students here or whoever the Lord puts in my path to be like a spiritual mother to, when I'm doing that, it invigorates me. It energizes me. It refuels me. It's even, I think, helped my creativity to be sustained. It's one of the, yeah, one of my favorite things about my current job, like my position here is pretty multifaceted. Um, Morningstar Ministries is a large ministry. There are a lot of aspects to what happens here. We're a conference center. We're a publishing company. We're a church. We're, you know, we're a school. We're, uh, and so there's, there's no lack of, um, of interesting things to do. <laughs> Can imagine. But for, and I love the conferences. I love all the people that come here. I love all the prophetic swirl that's always happening here. I love all of that. But I would have to say my favorite bit about my job right now is teaching in the school of worship. It's those students that I get to work with. I love it. So in relation to your gift, Here's a question. I haven't asked anyone this question. What comes first to you, prophet or worshiper? 
I think worshiper. Yeah. Would come first for me because that's what fuels everything else. Being a worshiper, uh, that being the one thing, being a person that, that desires the secret place with the Lord more than anything. And that's how I really learned to know his voice and, and be, you know, what's that verse in Proverbs? It says, you know, the, basically it's connecting the fear of the Lord with like, he shares the secrets of his heart with the people who, you know, that know him intimately, that have that fear of the Lord in their hearts. And that's who I want to be. As far as being a prophetic worship leader, I think sometimes that title is so, or like that, it seems, ooh, you know. It's funny you say that because I think that, I mean, all worship is prophetic really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's like this phrase we've kind of created. I think so. I think, you know, there's a book I read um, that I've taught from for years called Emerging Worship. It's yeah. by um, Roland Wharton. And I love the way he kind of unpacks it. Not that you have to categorize this way, but it's a helpful tool yes. to think of worship as as a multifaceted thing. You have priestly worship prophetic worship. So these work together in terms of like priestly worship is is really the majority of what we do. Yeah. Uh, personally and corporately. When we think of singing songs, when we think of worship in terms of singing yes. and uh, gathering together, the majority of what we're doing in that time is singing to and about the Lord. We're ministering to his heart. We're gazing on his beauty and responding to that through songs. I think of it as like the other half of the conversation. Like he wants to say things back to us. The Bible says that he sings over us. To keep it simple, prophetic worship is really tuning in to his, what is he saying? Okay, we sang to him. Now what is he singing back or what is he saying? It's just tuning in to, to the voice of the Lord or the heart of Jesus, the activity of heaven and coming into agreement with it and declaring it into the earth. So as we spend that time together, ministering to him, enthroning him in our praise, we should get to a point then where we're like, okay, this is what he's saying. This is what, this is what we're, what we're to declare right now or what he wants to sing over us. And so I don't think it has to be all mystical and complicated. Like you said, it should be, our worship should be prophetic, a a robust, healthy body of believers should be operating in Uh, the many facets of what worship releases. So, so it's not just about singing to him. It's about singing with him. Oh, I love that. So for you to keep that flow in your own life, I mean, what are some things that you do to stay fresh, to hear from him, to like, you know, your moments of rest? What does that look like for you? Well, there's several things. um, And I have to, you know, I'll be honest, I have to be intentional with, it's not always easy. And I know a lot of people have very busy lives. So I'm not going to sit here like, I spend hours with the Lord every day and I'm really good at it. I have to fight for that sometimes or just to find the five minutes of intentional gazing on Jesus and, you know, connecting my spirit to Holy Spirit, turning my gaze back to him. Um, I, I learned a, I learned something from Mike Bickle years ago that I really like. Mike Bickle, of course, is the director of the International House of Prayer in uh, Kansas City. And he does a teaching. It's a teaching called Fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. And it wrecked me. It really did. And it's so simple, but it was about, you know, cultivating that relationship and that conversation with the Holy Spirit, who is God dwelling in us, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And um, he uses this, uh, what do you call it, acronym called TRUST. And he just teaches you how to have a conversation, like just how to um, commune with the Holy Spirit in a quiet but intentional way where like the T is so it's trust and the T is thank you. You know, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your bright presence in me. Thank you for revealing Jesus to my heart. Thank you. Yeah, that kind of thing. R is release revelation is asking the Holy Spirit to release revelation to our spirit. U is use me, just inviting the Holy Spirit to use us, to flow through us throughout the day. S is strengthen me. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our inner man. And the final T is teach me because the Holy Spirit is the teacher. He's the greatest teacher. And he knows how to teach us how to, how to manage our schedule, our time, our relationships. And so I started using that. And I would, when I would go like walk my dog in the morning, that was the thing I would do. I would go through that. And in the in-betweens, I would pray in the spirit. 
or I would just get quiet and listen. And I found that when I would do some of that with, you know, deliberately, intentionally, I could, I had a much better chance of maintaining that connection through the unfolding of the day. Continue kind of turning right back to, does that make sense? Like continuing. It's awesome. It's awesome because the Lord's really been highlighting to me in this season. It's almost like a refocusing of the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's mm-hmm. really ministering to me. In fact, I just preached at my church on Sunday night, got asked to preach and I preached on your friend, the Holy Spirit, because that's where I'm at right now is that it's the nice. Holy Spirit really. It, I know that he should always be highlighted, but somewhere along the road, I think I just kind of, I forgot. And it's terrible to say that because he's always there and he's always working in your life. And, you know, I mean, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are always, um, you know, there, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just going, hello, I just want to re-engage again. I want to come to the forefront. So I'm going to go and look that up. That's that's powerful. Yeah, it's really powerful. Simple, but powerful. And that's definitely been important. I, I mean, of course, I love to just sit with my guitar. I One thing that I, I, I think is really important, and I would say this for on an individual level, but also like for anybody who's listening to this and you're a worship leader or you're on a worship team, it is really good for worship teams to worship together, not on the stage. Yeah. Wow. Um, to, to cultivate that heart of worship together in a quiet place, you know, like at someone's home or wherever you can do it, where you are pouring out your hearts to the Lord Jesus and making space for flow and spontaneous singing or whatever, you know, to exercise some muscles, but also just if the only time we're worshiping the Lord together is on the stage on Sunday morning, there's, that ain't right. Something's not right. And, and um, so I, that's something that I think we need to evaluate. I mean, no one's shared that in this series and I'm, that's really making me think because a lot of churches, I mean, our church in particular, we're a big church. So (laughs) it's a lot of meetings. You know, the the musicianship's quite high. So yeah. come in and we're just playing. And so this idea of like I am hearing though a lot coming back to people's homes, relationship, mm-hmm. family. And I do feel like that the Lord's saying return to that. And that that is an amazing opportunity for us to worship in smaller groups, like what you're saying. And oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I I, I know with before I moved here, because I've only I've only been here at Morningstar since March, so it's been what nine months now, I guess, something like that, eight months. Um, prior to that, I was on staff at a church in Jacksonville, Florida, for a long time. And one of the things that we were doing there towards those final years that I was there was related to this, and it was so powerful. We started meeting together. Our church had a Wednesday night, like a midweek service. And typically what would happen is, you know, we'd rotate different people on as, as the worship band, they would do 20 minutes of worship and then we would, and then they would all leave. And so we repurposed our Wednesday nights. And so we would have, do the worship and then we go up into our, my office, a large room and pull out some acoustic guitars and get around and just worship the Lord together. We also started, um, we went through Jeremy Riddle's book that he put out last year, The Reset, I think it's called The Reset just really wrecked everybody. So we were, you know, just like doing things together with like the intention of growing closer to each other, but also going deeper in the Lord together. And I feel like if we'll begin to do that, if our teams, worship teams will begin to prioritize some of these things, those, that's the place for that, that um, birth the songs, the new songs that, you know what I mean? Like getting his heart for our city or our community and writing from that place. So, yeah, I think there's something on that right now. Yeah, that's awesome. What's your, I wonder, have you got a story you can share of a time when you were leading where something really powerful took place? I'm sure there's lots of, my favorite thing, well, I shouldn't say my favorite thing, there's lots of favorite things, but one thing that I really, really love is if if I'm, you know, really tuned into the heart of the Lord, what he's doing, if we, if I can help guide us to a place, if we can get like where there's a, f- a sense of breakthrough that engages other spiritual gifts, that's what really like are my favorite moments. Like when suddenly there's like a word of knowledge that comes for like, you know, one of our pastors that flows in that pretty strongly. And when worship takes us to a place where there's 
major Holy Ghost activity that's being ignited in the room. Suddenly there is an anointing for deliverance and, you know, people are coming forward and getting delivered from all kinds of addictions and stuff, or there's an anointing for, you know, physical healing, or there's whatever the case may be, or there's intercession in the room. And it's suddenly we know we're meant to, to pray and declare over a certain issue or nation. And I get to participate in supporting that. Like, that's my favorite thing in the world. And that's probably what I've seen the most in how the Lord has wired me in ministry. I, I can't think of like one just, whoa, this is like a mega story here. And the whole room fell out on the power of the Holy Spirit and <laughs> angels danced around. Um, and, you know, it's funny because there's probably a, a billion stories we never get to hear as worship leaders of things that God does in the room. And we'll never know. Yes. Well, what about how do you help a congregation engage during worship? Mm. That's a big question, but that is a big question. I think there's some very practical things yeah. that go with that. You know, one of the one of the things I like to do is I don't know how else to say it, but build, building trust. Yeah. You know, yeah. with the congregation, like tr them trusting me to lead them into places that might stretch them. I do really love. I'm very pastoral in the way that I lead, so I do. Not that not that we ever want to prefer the people or like be led by people's preferences and, you know, please me, do what I want. That's not what I'm saying. But at the same time, if we're pastoring them through worship, if we're leading them, then we got to, you know, do what we can to help them engage with the Lord. And so, um, I mean, obviously, on a very practical level, I don't like, I don't like to constantly throw all new songs at people all the time. And they never get a chance to like learn songs where they can actually close their eyes and worship. I like to lead. I'm, I'm very much the kind of person that I like to lead them to the throne room. <laughs> I just don't have another goal besides that one. So that sounds so simple, but mm. you actually have a goal in mind. And I think a lot of worship leaders don't. You are right. I, I think. Whereas on the one hand, I think we should, I, I love to leave tons of room for spontaneity and wherever the Holy Spirit wants to take us. But I also believe it's important to be intentional in like, if I've got 30 minutes or I've got 40 minutes or I've got 20 minutes, I want to treat that with like, all right, so what, how can I best utilize this time to help the people of God connect with the Lord, see him for who he is and sing to him and where can we go? And I think it it is important to consider that when you're picking songs, like what's the journey of your set list? Like what is, is every single, because there are different kinds of songs. There are man to man songs, man to God songs and God to man songs, like directionally, what's the communication line? Um, what's the theme? What are we singing about? It, um, I always lean, to, lean the most heavily towards um, songs that are just exalting Jesus. In his beauty and his glory. Is it that far, don't you think? Right. I agree. I, I agree. And I, I'm encouraged when I look at like a, there's a, uh, what do you call it? A church slash movement called uh, Jesus Image um, here in Florida in, in the States. Super powerful what God is doing right now. And I mean, all like their whole worship set is just, it's just this. It's just holy and it's so powerful. I think that's really important. And there's a hunger for that now yes, there that, is, I, that there I'm is. sensing. It's like, there's there's certainly a place for singing about us and our journey with the Lord, whatever. But man, come on, we gotta, we gotta exalt him. Yes. And that's that's where people, that's where the transformation really comes. And that really, I believe is what ignites um, the activity of the Holy Spirit in a profound way. And, um, and that's where we need to go. And, and it ignites that prophetic function that, that, that gets released. The other thing I'll say this because whenever like, like prophetic and spontaneous worship was new in my world, when it was new to me and it was exciting, like, Oh, we can do this. Like, wow. I was a worship pastor at a small church. And so I had this new revelation, this great thing that was happening in me. And I was like, singing, you know, I would sing worship songs, the the worship songs of the day, Matt Redman and some of those guys that were writing songs that we were all singing. And then I would just keep playing the chords and just start singing to the Lord. Like that would, on, on my own. 
And then I started working with some of my worship team and we would have our regular rehearsal. And I'd say, well, let's try this. Let's just keep playing, you know, let's just keep playing and see what happens. Let's sing spontaneously. And so for the congregation, I helped them cross that bridge gradually, (laughs) you know, instead of being like, all we're going to do now is just spontaneous worship for 40 minutes because this is the thing that is awesome and we're all going to do it. And don't look at the screens. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Like <laughs> that's not going to work, you know, obviously. So it would just be taking a moment in a song and just flowing for a little bit on it, singing some spontaneous stuff or just like, you know, what I'm saying just like taking them, trans- making kind of that, making that transition, introducing them to this new thing of like, because the you know the panic you can see on their faces because they're looking at the screen. There's no words. Like, what are we supposed to do now? Or like, when you first tell a congregation, "Let's all lift our voices and sing our own song to the Lord," and everyone just suddenly doesn't know what they want to, you know, thank you God, you know. There's like you got to train them to build that vocabulary. I talk. I like to teach on that, like building a vocabulary for prophetic worship, which is so important and practical for all of us. Like with like learning to sing, sing in the spirit, which is, you know, I, I use that language, but I mean, singing in tongues, singing in your prayer language is is a good one. Singing the word. So singing scripture, which doesn't mean open your Bible and sing like chapter after chapter after chapter. Really what it means is like find, you know, start in the Psalms because the Psalms are easy to sing because they are meant to be sung, right? Yeah. That's how they originated. But like pick a couple verses, just pick two, like two verses, you know, or, and just Sing it ver- word by word, word for word, with a free melody. But if you play guitar or piano, play some chords, keep it simple, and just sing melodies freely using those words. And then paraphrase it. Yeah. Or sing it to God instead of the Lord is my shepherd, say, Jesus, you are my shepherd. And then start to elaborate that, you know, Jesus, you are the perfect leader. I trust the way you lead me. Like, I, you know, like go from there and like it will, I mean, the, our hearts just respond to that in such a powerful way. And you're, you're building this, like those deep wells of yeah. the language that God loves because it's the language of his word and his word is anointed. And then the third thing is to sing your own, your own heart to the Lord, which I think it's Don Potter that taught it this way. He talked about, so we have, you know, like we have these Hallmark stores in, in the States. So it's a, you know, the, it's a card shop. So you go in there to buy cards for birthdays, anniversaries, et cetera. So he said, you know, imagine it's your anniversary and you're going to buy a card for your spouse. And there's plenty of choices, you know, with these really sweet poems that are written for you, these nice sentiments. You can just pick one of those cards and then just put XXOO, I love you and sign your name and you're good. He said, but for the brave ones, there's a section and it's called blank inside. (laughs) Those are the cards that have a nice cover, but you open it up and there's nothing in there. Just two pages for you to write your own words, you know, from your heart. And so the question was posed, which card would move the heart of your spouse the most? Is it the one with the pre-written poem that you sign or is it the one where you pour out your heart and you use your language to say how much you love them? Obviously, it's the second one. That's what, how the Lord responds to our song. When we sing, we open our hearts and begin to sing our own language to him. Not that there's anything wrong with singing pre-written songs. That's not the point, but there is a place for developing an ability, you know, to express our heart to God so that when the moment comes in corporate worship and the worship leader says, sing a new song to the Lord, you, you can actually begin to let that flow. Yeah. It's beautiful, you know. Beautiful. Wow. I love that analogy. The whole card. I'll be sharing that story. That's fantastic. (laughs) I use it all the time. It's really good. And I love that your passion is, I mean, that whole idea of having a vocabulary, I think Mm -hmm. is really powerful. And because what you're doing is you're not just leading worship, but you're you're teaching people how to enter the secret place. Because a lot of people often think about this. I think I, I sing all day. I worship all day. That's just my place. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who don't. They just come on a Sunday and that's the first time in the whole week that they've even stopped to worship. And so for, for me to go, okay, let's just sing in the spirit now, mm-hmm. they're just going to be, I can't even sing the words right now. And so like take yeah. on a journey, it's, yeah. it's, that's just amazing. It's, it's like you're, you're the, you're, you hold a treasure map 
And mm. so wow, we, yeah. But but like you said, if we don't have intention, we don't know. We're not going to be able to follow the map, you know. Mm. And so I think there's something we we often think about what it means to lead prophetic worship, but the idea of bringing people with us is so powerful, you know. Yeah. How do we find a way to do that? Rather yeah. than here I am, sure. I'm the prophetic person, blah, goodbye, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm going to go fly someplace now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's end with one more question and then um, thank you because this has just been so insightful. I've loved everything that you've shared. I'd love to know, this might be, again, a big question. I'm the big question person today. What is the biggest misconception you think people have when they want to step into worship and the prophetic in worship? Well, I think in part we it's it is like, overcomplicating it or thinking that it's not for me it's for somebody else like uh you mentioned it earlier that like worship really worship is meant to be prophetic yeah and so i think that's part of the misconception is that it's it's just very complicated because when we hear the word prophetic or a lot of people they hear that and what they think of is a the prophet who's like thus saith the lord or it's about predicting end time events or you know, there's there's some strange misunderstandings about what it what is the prophetic. It it kind of comes down to declaring what God is declaring. This coming into agreement with what He's saying. What is that? What is He saying right now? What is He uh, doing right now? How is He moving right now? What is He feeling right now? And so I think that's a I think that's a big part of it. And I will say this too. I think it's it's important to make the distinction. Just because something is spontaneous doesn't mean it's prophetic. Yeah, so good. Because actually, there, I don't know when it happened exactly, but the whole the whole idea of doing something spontaneous in in worship, nobody did that like a couple of decades ago. But now we're seeing more of that, like more spontaneous stuff and flowing and riffing and all that stuff, which is great. But it doesn't mean that that's always really prophetic. It could just be having it, you know, yes, being creative. Yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It's fine, but. The prophetic has to do when, as a when I say being a prophetic worship leader, my desire is to discern what's God doing right now, what's He saying right now. That's kind of how I'm I'm looking at it. For me, it's always about how do we come into agreement with the sound of heaven right now. That's what we want to be doing is being in agreement with heaven's song and heaven's sound right now, right. and kind of breaking open into that in in such a way that He can begin to move in any way that He wants to, and so. When I flow in prophetic worship, one of my goals is to, how do I say it? <laughs> it's almost like to summarize what he's saying in a way that everyone in the room can now sing it together. Wow. Because wow. there's such a power in the, in court, you know, uh, I've heard, it might've been Mike Bickle who said, you know, music and singing. The reason why there's such a connection with worship and music and singing, he says music and singing is the best way to help a whole group of people say the same thing at the same time for the same purpose. Wow. And he's absolutely right. And so when we're moving in in a prophetic flow, when there's something clearly happening, there's a prophetic flow, there's something that the Lord is, is zeroing in on and we're singing into that, we're playing our instruments into that. At some point, I like to be able to pull everyone in, whether it's just like one phrase that we sing and we repeat it. Yes. And it kind of goes forth like a like a sword in the spirit. And there's such power in the in agreement, in the unity of singing that together. And um I'm still studying it, but I love the corporate anointing. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Because there's a scripture, I wish I had the exact address. I don't have it in my head right now, but it's the one where Jesus is he's teaching uh a, you know, his disciples, his followers, and he it's the part where he says. Um, like assuredly, I say to you, if if you say to this mountain, be rooted up and cast into the sea, it will be done. And the word you there is not an individual you. It's not, hey, Kalani, if you say to this, he's, it's the word there is plural. In the South, we would say y'all or all y'all, yeah. if all y'all say. So there's something that that Jesus is pinpointing there that I think is so key for us. Like if if y'all will, will say to this mountain. And so there is a, 
there's something so special about the, the corporate anointing that comes on the body of Christ when we're aligned with the head, Jesus, and he's, and we're, you know, we're moving with him. Um, there's, there's authority in that place that he's, he, an anointing that he's placed on the body. Uh, and as the bride, you know, the bride of Christ, we are the, there's the yes and the amen. And we're in partnership with him. Amazing. Kalami, this has been so great. Thank you for sharing. Oh, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. And uh, where can people go to hear some of your music and find some more of your resources and stuff so we can share? Yeah, so you can go to, um, like I'm on YouTube under Kalani. My my maiden name, Gleckler, is kind of my music name because all my albums to date are under Kalani Gleckler. So you you can find me. But if you type in Kalani, usually like you'll find me. I'm on YouTube. I have uh, my website is Kalani.com. Um, you can find me on, you know, Spotify and all the, all those places. My music is awesome. is up on all the digital places. So we'll put yeah. some links in the in the show notes as well. So people can just do a click and they'll find all your amazing music. Thank you so much for being with us today. What a privilege. And I hope we get to meet in person. I love Zoom, but you know, being in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and, for sure. Uh, and guys, thank you for listening today. I pray it's been an empowering, encouraging time as you've listened to Kalani. If you've liked this episode, please check out some of our other episodes. And if you want to sponsor us, you can. Uh, you can head to buymeacopy.com. The link's in the show notes. Yes, you can buy me a copy or five and all proceeds will go towards the cost of producing this podcast. You'll find the link in the notes. It's been wonderful to be with you today. And we just pray that you will release the sound of heaven as you worship him. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to Release the Sound, a podcast on prophetic worship. If you're hungry for more, head to romawaterman.com where you can check out my book, Releasing Heaven's Song, Singing Over Your Nation for Breakthrough and Revival. It includes activations that you can use with your team or even on your own. And I've also got an online school where we have several courses on the prophetic, worship, spirituality and creativity. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. And until then, I pray that you will release the song of heaven over your family, your church, and even your nation. And I look forward to sharing with you in the next Release the Sound Prophetic Worship Podcast.